You know, I always, you know, I live by the saying these days to never let a crisis go to waste because it's an opportunity to do some really important things, whether that's in life and business relationships, however you want to look at it. So at every crisis moment in my life, I've chosen to take that and try to do something good with it for a bunch of different reasons. One, there's research that shows that focusing on the plight of another human being helps you heal. So that's one thing. So selfishly speaking, maybe, you know, helping others in the middle of my nightmare was, uh, you know, it was a healing type of situation. Um, it's a distraction from the reality of what's going on in your own life, especially, you know, and I'm making this in terms of, you know, when my dad died, seeing my friends die in Africa with, 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 H, with AIDS, going through my own cancer crisis, you know, witnessing just what's happening on the world on a daily basis. Um, that's kind of where I'm coming from, those moments of crisis. And um, so I feel that, you know, that strategy has opened doors for me. And, you know, just kindness, compassion, and perseverance are really the three words that I try to kind of live by these days. And uh, that's been hugely helpful for me in all aspects of my life. That's Survivor Africa winner. Ethan Zahn, and I'm Brian Falchuk. This is Do A Day. You'll hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know we can all overcome and achieve because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. What's up, Do A Day podcast listeners? It's your buddy, Adam, the PhD, the previously heavy dude from the Million Pound Mission podcast, where I teach people how to reclaim control over their transformation journey. You are listening to the Do A Day podcast, and here is your host, my friend, Brian Falchuk. Hey, day doers, welcome back to Do A Day, and thank you to my friend, Adam Shibley of the Million Pound Mission. If you haven't checked out that show, you have to. And of course, Adam was on this show as well. But this is not about him and it's not about me. It's about this week's guest who I cannot tell you how excited I was to get to talk to him and to bring this out to you. This is Ethan Zahn. For any of you who have been fans of the show Survivor, especially early on, Ethan won season three, the season that took place in Africa. And he went on to play a couple more times in All-Stars Season 8 and then came back triumphantly for Season 40, Winners at War, where he was a very different Ethan than the first two times we saw him. Because in between those examples, the early seasons and Winners at War, Ethan had a very different kind of experience with survival, where his own survival was in question. He battled Hodgkin's lymphoma twice. Uh, in a very public way the first time and beat it and then it came back and that wasn't all he did he also started a charity with some friends to help raise money and awareness and support for people dealing with HIV and AIDS in Africa called grassroots soccer he has done a lot but he's survived through all of it and the story of survival really goes back before there was even a TV show with the name Survivor, where Ethan experienced the loss of his father when he was 14 years old, also to cancer, and had to make his path going forward where as dynamic and interesting and fun and successful as he is on one hand, he had a lot of failure and a lot of difficulty and a lot of trials and tribulations that all really guided and impacted and shaped who he is. And he tells all that, talks a lot about his philosophy, his approach to things, He's just an awesome guy. And three really strong words come out. Kindness, compassion, and perseverance. And it's beautiful. And how he chooses to focus and to put his attention into the various crises that go on around him or within him. These are all choices we have. And Ethan's such a great example of how to engage with that to change your life. So... A little bit of fandom geeking out. I mean, Ethan was a pretty big deal in, in my personal life and like with my friends and stuff. We we're all huge Survivor fans. We actually ran a pool um, at work for his season and I won. I also was running the pool, so that was highly controversial because everyone thought that I fixed it. But maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Either way, Ethan was awesome. Um, and it's just been really cool to get to know him, to hear his story and the energy 
that he brings to this idea of survival. So let's jump in to this amazing episode with one of the coolest people I've gotten to talk to, Ethan Zahn. Everybody's going through things, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, my intention is hopefully some story from, you know, someone who's on the show resonates and it clicks, whether it's a direct translation or not. And you're like, you know, that, mm -hmm. that gives me a sense of how to pick up and go. And that's all I want is people like, even if it's one person, you know, feels yeah. a path forward. Yeah, that's kind of been my whole, uh, my whole philosophy in life, just from an early age, just uh, service over self, I guess you can call it, you know, making happiness real for other people. You know, those are the kind of things I live by. And I just, it's opened doors for me. It's helped me in my career. You know, yeah. it was my strategy on Survivor the first time around. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of just where I, I fall in the whole world. And even in the business world, business world, you know, bringing in leading with compassion and empathy versus like business right. and money, you know, easier said than done, but to create, like you're saying, create that culture shift, the change in mentality, um, you know, an authentic, vulnerable leader, I think is attractive yeah. um, to a lot of, a lot of people in yeah. this day and age, especially this day and age um, when, you know, the, the, the money side of things is a little bit sketchy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah, it doesn't do it. Yeah, I, we're recording. I think it's oh, all awesome. All right. So let's <laughs> just do it. But the, there doesn't. I think some people think there's a choice. Like I have to be this tough, like profit first person. I can't. You know, I can't admit that I don't know. I can. And I think that's flawed. It's hard. It's hard for some people to break from that. But it just doesn't. Like I think you can achieve so much more when you let your guard down and open up and make space for someone else to do better than you, whether you're the CEO or anything else. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, on my uh, first season of Survivor, you know, my initial instinct was I'm going to do everything I possibly can do to win this million dollars, lie, cheat, steal, be an evil backstabbing type of person. But then when I got out there yeah. and you take away food and you take away water, you're tired, you're hungry, like your, your true kind of person comes out, your true yeah. colors come out. And it just wasn't who I was. And so yeah. I just fell back on kind of the skills that I learned growing up, the values I learned, you know, in my own personal community and yeah. a little bit through my religion and my parenting and through sports, to be honest, because um, I took the assistant coach role out there and it served me pretty well because like, I felt that I had a good understanding of who I was going into that. And that's really important in Survivor. You got to know who you are when you go in to play this game. And so I knew my strengths and my weaknesses. I, I'm not the A-type personality, the guy who likes to stand up and bark orders and do all that stuff. Like I'm okay being the guy behind the guy. Yeah. And so when I was out there, like there's this guy named Lex, who's just, he loved being the center of attention, yeah. the leader, deliver the good news, the bad news. And that's just not something I wanted to do and then i aligned with this guy named big tom who's kind of like a distraction a comedic outlet so basically what ended up happening is like they would all like complain to me those two would complain to me about the tribe the tribe would complain yeah. to me about lex and tom and then i'm just sitting here like filtering this information spitting it out how i wanted it to to obviously affect my game and help me yeah. get ahead in the game but you know my entire strategy was based on real loyal and trusting relationships yeah and, uh, those are relationships that are still going today uh, 18 years later. So. Oh, so uh, there's, there's two very different paths I want to take. And I'm like, I'm anxious to get in the survivor one and the personal one and, and your life journey. Cause there's so like anyone who knows your name would primarily know you from survivor, but there's so much more. And a lot of people know you from the other things you've done since then, but we gotta, I gotta hear the, the life story pre survivor. Cause, um, you grew up in the town that I live in beautiful place, great community. Everything seems fine, but you faced lots long before you were, you know, starving out there in the bush in Africa. Um, so, you know, give us a little bit of that background and then, um, and then, yeah, there's lots to go into from there. Are you, are you, am I talking to you in Lexington right now? You are. Yeah. You are? Where, really? Yeah. yeah. To give you your address, but uh, I lived off uh, Grant street right before uh, Lexington centers you're heading to, towards Burlington but anyway I won't say we Google stalked you and maybe drove by the house we did oh, okay but if we did we'd know <laughs> it's so funny because like not you know back in the day when I was growing up there you know I think my mom moved out of we lived on Todd Road in Lexington Massachusetts and our house 
was one of the bigger ones on the block. And yeah. now when I drive by there, like our house is the smallest on the yeah. block. And it's yeah. this fascinating to me to see how my little neighborhood has changed. But uh, yeah, that was a great little area to grow up. And I yeah. loved it. It's uh, a good community. Know, good community. So yeah, I grew up, grew up right there and uh, I went to Lexington High School, uh, Fisk Elementary School, Diamond Middle School, and then Lexington High School and graduated and uh, moved off and uh, went to a small school in upstate New York called Vassar College. Yeah. And, uh, you know, played, uh, played soccer there. I studied pre-med marine biology. Um, but prior to getting to college, when I was 14 years old, just kind of getting out of the middle school, my father passed away from yeah. cancer. And so, you know, at 14 years old, all I really wanted to do was uh, curl up into a ball and yeah. sit in my room and not come out and play. But it was this wonderful community that we were around, um, you know, my friends from school, my soccer team a lot. I obviously made my brothers, my mom, uh, the Jewish community was really strong there as well. And they kind of reached out to us and embraced us yeah. and reinforced our values in a time when like we felt completely alone as a family. So that was a yeah. really blessing back then. We, were you in the birth order? I'm the, the youngest of okay. the three sons. Yeah. So you had two older brothers that maybe either were terrible to you or pitching in and being supportive? <laughs> uh, we were very supportive of each other. They, yeah. uh, a fun game that we had when I was growing up is like to put Ethan in the backyard and just blast soccer balls at his face. That was a fun game that we all used to play. Little did they know, that was quite a bit of training for later. Thank you very yeah. much. So like yeah, I, yeah. I owe them because like I was a goalkeeper in soccer. Yeah. And uh, when it, I ended up, I was like five foot, like three by the time I was in like fifth grade. So I was okay. a monster at a full mustache. Like everyone <laughs> thought I was like a mini Tom Selleck running around Lexington as, as a kid. And then everyone caught up to me. So like yeah. I was a huge, like it was the best. And then like as the time goes on, by the time I was in high school, everyone was in my same height, same yep. shape. And so uh, it kind of kind of ruined my, my plans to be this force on the soccer field. That's awesome. But so, um, you know, and we'll, we'll get into your journey with cancer. Any, any um, overlap between the kind of cancer that took your father and what you were facing? Um, no, my father had colorectal cancer okay. and I had a lymphoma. Um, right now there aren't, they don't seem to have any strong yeah. connections between the two, but you know, yeah, it's not, uh, yeah. But you know, it's interesting because I mean, if my dad got that diagnosis now, he'd be fine. You yeah. Know? But back in uh, 1989, you know, cancer research just wasn't there yet. Right. And so science wasn't able to save my dad's life, but it was able to save mine. Yeah. That, um, I mean, aside from being very hard, it must have, as you went through your cancer journey, that must have played some role in how you felt about it, the chances. And I mean, you put on this amazing face outwardly. You're really open about it before people were even doing those things. Um, and people needed, needed that. Like you were a guidance and a reminder that like you can fight and you can get through it. Um, but I can imagine you, you had your own things to go through personally. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. My only connection to cancer was through my dad. So to yeah. me, cancer equaled death. That's it. Yeah. So like when I first got diagnosed, I was 35 years old. I was on top of the world. I was training for the Boston, uh, the New York city marathon and like, you know, things went South. I had really itchy skin. I wasn't sleeping, night sweats, loss of weight, all that stuff. And I just didn't know what was going on inside my body until I yeah. found a, a mass in my chest, a swollen lymph node popped out. And so, yeah, for me, it was, it was incredibly frightening and scary as it is for anyone going through cancer. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. And you, so we're, we're going to end up coming back to Survivor because I don't want to come off of, of this, uh, the other part of your journey. Sure. The, the other kind of Survivor. I mean, you're a Survivor in, in TV and in real life. <laughs> right. You know, just play one on TV. The word um, Survivor defines me fairly well right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the work you did with the money you won from the show using soccer as a vehicle to help fight AIDS. Um, and then you have this other, you know, major health issue, global issue, that's your personal one. And um, do you, like, how do you, how do you continue to support one cause when you're living another one and sort that out? Yeah, that's a valid question. I do both, but um, you know, my, obviously the last 20 years of my life has been focused on HIV and AIDS. 
uh, adolescent health, you know, before the TV show Survivor, I lived and played professional soccer in Zimbabwe. Yeah. And while I was there, I saw firsthand what was happening with HIV and AIDS and how it was just destroying this community that I was a part of. However, you know, at that time in my life, 27 years old, didn't have a lot of money. I didn't know what I could do to right. help this massive problem. So, you know, didn't do anything about it, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, came back to U.S., continued playing here, and then Survivor came along. And once again, I was brought back to Africa, but this time to Kenya. And I was playing the game of Survivor, and I had an experience while I was on the show where I was playing hacky sack yeah. with all these children. And later to find out they were HIV positive. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, like, um, you know, it was uh, just a normal reward challenge. I won these two goats, which I wasn't so happy about. But I took these goats to this village with Lex, actually. Yeah. So that guy, Lex, I was talking about. And, yeah, so I just started. That's, like, when it all came to me. Because, like, you're allowed to, back in the day, you're allowed to bring a luxury item, which is one item you're allowed to bring from home that reminds you of your life away from the game of Survivor. Yeah. So I, I brought a hacky sack because they wouldn't let me bring a soccer ball. Right. <laughs> but, a but mini soccer ball. A little mini it. soccer ball. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, if I can't bring a soccer ball, I'll bring a hacky sack. I'm like, when am I going to use this? This thing is useless. But then it came into uh, play, literally, when I was just hanging out at this the parking lot of the hospital. And then one of the nurses told me these were the kids that were HIV positive. So, like, here I was in the middle of this game. Right. This game for a million dollars. And I had this kind of real-life experience that just slapped me across the face. So when I got home from the show, you know, obviously... I knew I, what you I had, had to little, do. I knew what I had to do. I had a little yeah. bit of money, a little bit of fame, and uh, met up with some soccer buddies of mine that we that we played with in in Africa. But to get back to that first question, I just thought it was important to give people a little yeah. history on how grassroots soccer got started. It's because, like, so, like, I I don't have HIV. I hope I will never get HIV. Um, but I do know what it's like to walk into a doctor's office, sit down across from them and get a life-threatening diagnosis that has no cure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I know what that feeling's like. So for the past, you know, 15, you know, years, I, I obviously was helping with, with grassroots soccer, and I was over in Africa playing with the kids, helping to fundraise, but I didn't know what that experience was like. So getting a diagnosis like that of cancer, not HIV, was eye-opening for me. Yeah. And... I've now seen this world from both sides. I've been on the giving end of yeah. charity and philanthropy with grassroots soccer. And now I've been on the receiving end of charity and philanthropy. I mean, there's millions of people out there raising money for cancer research that helped fund a drug that saved my life. Yeah. So like I've, I've been on both sides. So I think I have a, a new understanding, a greater appreciation, a deep connection to Philanthropy and you yeah. know charity and the importance of it and the the generosity of the other human beings um, that are helping complete strangers. So like yeah. I, I understand that and it's been hugely important for my life moving forward and, and just kind of cemented what I want to do in my life. Yeah, I mean this is kind of to the point of um, you know before we started recording talking about the purpose of the show. It's not that you couldn't um, comprehend the idea of how hard that must be. There's a whole other ability and level of comprehension when you've actually been in those shoes. And that's where, you know, like having this story come out. Um, and, you know, we talked uh, before, before hopping on this episode, we talked about Sunday who mm -hmm. had on recently Sunday Burquest, who's battling cancer again. Um, and again, for her, like that firsthand experience, it's just different from watching or being like, I'm a good caring person. That must be hard. I'm here for you. Like doesn't doesn't take away from that, but there's a whole other level of understanding and ability that you've actually been through. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, it's it's a it's a really lonely feeling for a lot of people. You know, everyone's experience is different, and no one can know what that feeling's like unless you go through it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I encourage everyone who is going through a life challenge now to take the opportunity to like reach out, ask for help. And uh, it's because nothing creates comfort and confidence more than knowing you're not facing a life challenge alone. And I yeah. learned that kind of going through what I was going through. Yeah. And some people don't, they think it's a sign of weakness or no one could possibly understand. It's like, maybe, but you know, it's like me asking you to do this. It's like, you weren't, you weren't uh, on my show before I asked. So if you said no <laughs> or didn't respond, like I've lost nothing. Right. right. So <laughs> if you think they don't understand, you talk to them and you find out they don't understand Then What have you lost? Exactly. Right. Might as well try. And I, I it's interesting because I do, I do some public speaking and uh, I talk about failure a lot. 
because the entire reason I tried out for Survivor was a like epic, like you know uh, consecutive you know failures in my life. So I was playing professional soccer, didn't work out so well. Came to New York City, got a job coaching in New Jersey, didn't work out so well. Got a full time job in advertising. They fired me before I went in. So like all these failures oh. led to the to, to the point where I was um, un, unemployed. Yeah. Um, I like to tell my mom I was in between life choices, if anyone's listening. That's really well positioned. So if you lose your job and you're unemployed and your parents are on your back, say, Mom, Mom, I'm in between life choices. I'm figuring See, it out. See, the advertising place didn't have you come in? That's brilliant. <laughs> See, I just fixed the, the world for so many young kids wow. right now. Um, so I was bored with yeah. my roommate in New York City. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do today? He's like, well. Want to make a video for survivors? Like, yeah, why not? Like, we were bored. We ran around New York City. There may or may not have been some alcohol involved. I don't know. Um, and we were editing it back and forth on two VHR, v, v, VHS, wow. VCRs, like, you know, back and forth like yeah. that. And I was supposed to send in a video for him, and he was supposed to video for me. And we ran out of time for him. So we only sent in my video, and uh, wow. the rest is history. Yeah. Did you have to cut him a little commission when you won? I took a little, I, I took care of him. All right. All right. <laughs> um, if if you said no, I would have edited that out so you could still look like a good guy. Um, that's why I was gonna. I, I was I was thinking this was season two, but you're on season three, so I was gonna ask if Borneo had even come out, if you even knew what you were applying for. But at that point, Survivor was a thing when you applied. It was a thing. It was and definitely not a thing. Quite what it had morphed into over a few more seasons, but it had started. Well, I to be honest, the in terms of ratings, I don't want to get into the whole ratings mm -hmm. things, but you know, survivors are a little competitive when it comes to ratings sure. of their particular season, especially the seasons they won. Um, but uh, you know, Africa was definitely, I mean, it was Borneo was crazy. Australia was nuts. survivor Africa. I think we averaged like 27 million viewers wow. on the finale, you know, 18 yeah. million a week. Um, and then it kind of, it, it kind of held, held, started dipping after that. Yeah. This was nine 11. Don't forget. Survivor right. Africa right, was nine yeah. 11. Survivor All-Stars, which was in 2004. That was right after the tsunami. Um, and that was made, that was the highest ratings in the history of the show ever. And um, and then that's kind of just dipped. Now they get around 9 million people watching it a week. Yeah. We've been uh, binge watching through the whole pandemic quarantine thing. I bet it's really fun. Like I had never watched the I didn't watch the show again until I got the call to go on Winners at War, which is this yeah. current season, season 40. And it was an eye-opening eye because over the past 18 years, I had kind of had selective memory of really what went on during the yeah. show. And I built myself up to be like in so many different areas when I'm telling these stories over the years. And then I went back and watched them like, that's it? That's all that happened. <laughs> you know, like, like I, you know, it was pretty funny. Winners at War was an interesting one that, you know, when you talked about your gameplay strategy, the strategy you had going in is kind of what has become the standard for winning. Like the the backstabbing, the cheating, the lying. And as a like I'm a traditionalist, like I I like the honest game, like the people who genuinely but you know, then you go to the outwit play part and the outwit part, and it's like, yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it, right? Um but it burns me to like, I don't, I don't like uh, unethical behavior getting rewarded, but that's kind of, you know, it's like the, the sneakier you can be, the better. That's uh, the game. Yeah. It's yeah. really difficult to get through a game like nowadays without doing something that's going to kind of touch on your morals a little yeah. bit, <laughs> you know, and that's the beauty of the game. That's what they want. You know, yeah. that's what they're casting people for because they want to push you mentally physically socially spiritually environmentally financially so like now it's going to be hold the gates are wide open now that they have these fire tokens and this whole new currency thing because right. now there's literally money is a factor within the show and not just winning the show right like, so it's now you have concept yeah right yeah, yeah it's gonna i think that's where they're going with this thing it's gonna be yeah. ridiculous in terms of fire tokens and he wants to create an entire economy like yeah. a, you know a little bubble of an economy and see what happens it's kind of a cool concept people like marooned on an island does does economy start to develop and are people you know like communal feeding and you know then every now and then there's like i'm not going to catch fish for these people so now you have literal money yep uh, but i would pay someone to go catch a fish for me right. right right yeah why not yeah i do um 
I was, we were all rooting for the heroes and the heroes versus villains season because we didn't, we didn't want the bad guys winning, but that didn't go so well. Um, all right. So enough about uh, geeking out on, on survivor fandom, from my <laughs> end. but it is, it is really interesting and watching you come back to other times and um, you were taken out pretty, like you were targeted in both pretty quickly. Yeah. So maybe you were the force to be reckoned with that you remembered yourself being, right? And people just saw it coming. Of course. Oh, it was yeah. the, probably the hair that did it. They were just afraid of the, the curly hair. But I think, you know, Survivor All-Star, the first one, li listen, it was the first of its kind. There's only four winners asked back. The entire strategy for this show was to get the winners off first. Yeah, right? I get it. Yep. Um, and so that, and then, the, then this time around, Winners at War, I mean, so many different factors involved, but um, basically, the uh, you know they only asked seven old school players and then thirteen new school players. Yeah. So the tribal divides were pretty this old school, new school thing. We were screwed in the first. Yeah. We were screwed in again. So like, I feel like I, you know, it's just tough with these returning seasons yeah. um, and trying to find a path forward. I think the nice one of the best parts about it was the uh, the kind of life lessons, like the amount of philosophical confessionals that went on. I mean, especially on uh, Exile Island, Edge of Extinction, was it called? Edge of Extinction. Edge of Extinction. Yes. I was getting mixed up. Um, you know, especially like from you and and some of the challenges you guys had to do, and you get I, you get some real life lessons out of that versus just like exciting gameplay, which there was yeah. that too. But it was a deeper season. It was, it was. And I don't know if you know this, but the Edge of Extinction, E-O-E, -E, it actually stands for the end of Ethan. They, they didn't tell you that. Is that <laughs> what it is? It almost killed me. Yeah, that's yeah. what it stands you, for. It was rough out there, man. For me, it was rough. Yeah. You know, it's um, because, you know, let's 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 go there the uh the the parallels between the edge of extinction and a life going through cancer is very similar yeah the edge of extinction for those people who don't know when you voted off survivor this past season you don't go home you go to this place called the edge of extinction which is the worst place on earth it's purgatory it's it's your life it's your world in between life and death inside the game of survivor yeah. because you're on this island you got two more chances to get back in the game but the entire time you have the option to quit you can just raise this flag. And it's quit. taunting you. It's like right in front of you all day. All day, every day. Yeah. You can't not see the flag with the thing where you could just pull it and go home. You're eating Doritos, drinking Diet Coke, watching TV like that. Yeah. So that's a battle you're playing with yourself. So like in the game of life and cancer, you know, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you are in between life and death. You may or may not have one or two more chances to get back in the game of life with a clinical trial or experimental new therapy. Um, you're in this island by yourself and you feel really alone and you're scared and you're nervous and you're frustrated and there's anxiety involved. Um, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you feel horrible. That's exactly the same thing that way is going uh -huh. through on the edge of extinction. Everything yeah. I just mentioned. Like, what am I going to turn to Boston Robbins? Hey, Boston Robbins, really feeling sad and scared right now? No, I can't do that. Yeah. He'll weaponize that, use it against me. You know, 100%. so like, so you're, it's this crazy thing. So when I was out there, I just kind of got in this weird little mind space and I was convinced I was giving myself cancer again because I was freezing and hungry and tired and anxiety. And I was away from everything I feel comfortable with my wife, my cats, you know, yeah. my home, all that stuff. So it was a really interesting journey for me out there as yeah. they showed pretty pretty well they did not uh i was pretty accurate i have to lie i can't lie yeah. and i was uh there was times where i was just really really struggling when it's i mean god what a uh what an appropriate connection to make because it's like you can tap out in fighting the cancer yeah you know do i continue to put myself through this or do i just give up and some people do and some fight and for some the fight matters and for some the fight doesn't and that unknown like you don't know you're getting back in the game you don't know that you're going to win or not so going through all that does it i i get like sandra just quit yeah because she didn't she wasn't up for it she already won twice like who cares anymore and i get that like it's it's attractive yeah i think she also saw it like Look at who was there. Like Tyson, she had, Rob, she had no shot. Yule, you yeah, know, me, no Ty, you know, uh, Wendell, everyone. She had no shot yeah. at the physical side of things. Right. But I, I'm still like, as a lover of the game of Survivor and understanding that you can't predict anything in Survivor, 
I would have like I would have tried to stick it out because you never know what's going to happen. She shouldn't have won the two that she won. So maybe her first one, but the second one, she had no shot and she won anyway. I know. So you never know. Yeah. But yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I firmly believe like, just like in cancer, just keep yourself alive long enough because you just never know what's around yeah. the corner. Um, oh, that's, I, that is absolutely totally appropriate. Yeah. Um, they didn't, so they showed a lot of the, the kind of mental anguish and journey that you're going through and, and physically like, so my wife was hurting. She's like, Ethan, no, you need to stop. She's very worried for you. Oh, um, but luckily, like we saw you on social media, so we knew you were still alive. So she right. knew you were okay. But um, there was a lot I mean, of yelling at the TV, I will say. <laughs> yeah, my wife, like my wife had to go out there so and see right. me in person. She was traumatized. Yeah. Because like, you know, she knows the game, but she didn't, they've never sent family members to visit people who are out of the game in the yeah. history of the game. So like, we really had not much going for us out there. So like, I was happy, but it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm in the final six. This is the family visit. Right. Let's talk strategy. Like she got out there. I'm like, this fucking, oh, th this sucks. Right. I, I'm about, you know, I think I'm going to die. I, this is worse than cancer. Yeah. I already passed out. Like they called it medical, like yeah. everything. And she's like, <gasps> and I was right. 25 pounds lighter at the time. You, know? you weighed about 13 pounds at that point. You and Danny were like, if that breeze kicked up too much. I know. We were wild. competing for seeing how many bones we could see. Yeah. It's horrible. But she's like endurance runner. Like she just kept going. Yeah, she's impressive. Yeah. All the women were impressive. And like that whole thing with what you mentioned, that log challenge. So the log challenge, I was competing against three other women. I passed out, didn't do so well. We had to climb up to the top of the hill, get one log, and we had to do that 20 times. That was yeah. a challenge. And we had until sundown. So you can understand Timed. how long this thing yeah. would take us. Timed, meaning like they, they told us when we got up and we had till sundown, which is whatever. 12 hours yeah. you know and it took a lot it took us about six hours six seven hours um or it took me at least that long everyone else finished before me but anyway when i passed out i was on log 16 and when i thought everyone's going to kick me while i was down spit on me because we're competing for two million dollars here right this is a game it wasn't just like let's help my friend ethan the exact opposite happened yeah. and like they picked me up they walked up the, the the last leg of the race with me and helped me through and it was just that kind of you know, that human side, the compassion, the empathy, it just transcended yeah. the game of Survivor, yeah. which is a really nice moment. Well, so that that's the other way that, I mean, to your point about reaching out and standing with each other, like, again, on the edge of extinction, everyone was in it together, you know, for the most part, certainly those of you who had been there for the long haul in it, yeah. is you guys become, and you see that on several of the seasons with EOE where people are like, it's a family. I mean, I think that's why Chris was able to win a season that the jury had lived through everything with him. Yeah. And that people always question, uh, not always, let me say a couple people have asked why I voted for Natalie in the final. Yeah. And sorry, whoever has not seen the show yet, I'm about to spoil something. It's so already, it yeah, that's right. Um, so like I had the choice, obviously, to vote Tony, Michelle, or Natalie. And I chose Natalie because for me, you know, it was a tough decision, but I never met Tony, never yeah. shook his hand, never spoken to him, never played against him, nothing. I, yeah. I knew no, everything I knew about Tony was what I saw at Tribal Council and what people told me when they arrived at the edge of extinction. Yeah. So with Natalie, obviously, we lived the edge of extinction. Natalie together. was your sister at that point. Basically. Like it's yeah. family. Yeah. And she, it's like she got free. She broke out of jail. Yeah. And she's in life again. So you're like she, proud like, of her for, yeah. <laughs> and she completely validated the experience I had on the edge mm. um, because we were all there for so long. And so it just made sense, you know, at that point of the game, it was clear I was playing more with my heart, yeah. with my mind. So to go all of a sudden go like strategic Tony, you know, gameplay versus my heart strings and like, you know, just love of another human being would have made sense. So I yeah, Natalie. you can, so yeah, Tony had the strategic part, although there was a good chunk of the game where he didn't, where he was sort of along for the ride. But um, I, Tony deserved the win. I'm not, yeah. I'm not taking that away from him. But you can't take away Natalie's deservingness also. Because yeah. that, that survival, all the odds stacked against you longer than anybody. I mean, she won every single challenge on the edge. She was a, she was a dedicated, committed beast. Yeah. Having said that, she did get there first and destroyed all the clues so we had no idea what was going on there and she oh. didn't tell anyone <laughs> so i don't think i picked that up all right oh yeah so she arrived there first which well that's said, how, that's strategic then yeah. right oh yeah and there was a placard that said like this is what's going to happen on the edge there'll be challenges you'll win fire tokens that disappeared so we didn't know 
No. And so, yeah. So when we got there, we were just like, all right, well, this is the edge. And maybe they'll have a challenge. Meanwhile, there's a whole game going on yeah. that she was the only one that knew about for the first okay. until like Tyson got there, which was six people. No, one, two, three, four, five, Rob, six people. Like no one knew really what was going on. Then we kind of started figuring, okay, there might be something happening here yeah. that's not announced. And uh, but she just crushed it by that point. Those uh those wet rocks that you all had to like run across and jump on and where Rob cracked his elbow. Yeah. Um, that was another I was like, we were done with watching you get hurt and you know, <laughs> and it's like, oh no, here. So that was a very difficult one to watch as well. Right. Um so Ethan, when, when we had started off, you know, you're talking about service over self. Um, you got to know who you are. It's obviously something that you've lived experiences that have brought that front and center for you, but it sounds like it's also a bit in your wiring. So how do you, how do you bring that out, especially if it isn't who you are? Like, you know, some of the public speaking you do when you're talking in companies where you've got like leadership who is very happy with the position they're in. And there's a bit of like in Survivor, like you got to protect that. You got to destroy the clues so no one figures it out and takes you down. Um, how do you break through that for people and, and get them to see that journey? Well, you know, I always, you know, I live by the saying these days to never let a crisis go to waste because it's an opportunity to do some really important things, whether that's in life and business relationships, however you want to look at it. So at every crisis moment in my life, I've chosen to take that and try to do something good with it for a bunch of different reasons. One, there's research that shows that focusing on the plight of another human being helps you heal. So that's one thing. So selfishly speaking, maybe, you know, helping others in the middle of my nightmare was, uh, you know, it was a healing type of situation. Yeah. Um, it's a distraction from the reality of what's going on in your own life, especially, you know, and I'm making this in terms of, you know, when my dad died, seeing my friends die in Africa with, 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 H, with AIDS, going through my own cancer crisis, you know, witnessing just what's happening in the world on a daily basis. Um, that's kind of where I'm coming from, those moments yeah. of crisis. And um, so I feel that, you know, that strategy has opened doors for me. Yeah. And, you know, just kindness, compassion, and perseverance are really the three words that I try to kind of live by these days. And uh, that's been hugely helpful for me in all aspects of my life. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what, you know, a message I would give, you know, it's doesn't, it's not always applicable to, you know, everyone in every type of business situation, but I think in life, I think it's a good, a good way to live. Um, And, uh, you know, it's always, uh, you know, and we mentioned earlier about the whole trying and failing thing as well. Like the, the, you know, I, I mentioned that, but like, you know, I, I never worry about failing at things. I just worry about all the mi- all the things I'll miss if I don't even try. So yeah. like, I try to shift the idea of like failing into not trying. So like, maybe I want to go try out for the play in school, but I don't want to because I'm afraid of singing in public and that people mm-hmm. might laugh at me and then I won't do it. And then I'll like be, feel regretful that I didn't do it. I feel guilty that I didn't do it. And what I want to try to like say to you is like, just do it and fail because you can learn a lot from that moment in your failure. You can become better. You learn a little bit more about yourself, resiliency, bouncing up, getting off the ground when, when you have lost something. But on the flip side, it's just not, you're just not trying. Imagine all the things you'll miss if you don't even try. Right. So that's kind of something I think is really important, you know, to, to, to get across to some folks, especially young kids coming up in the world um, today. Uh, I often mention that, you know, on college campuses, high school campuses, like, because I was that way, like, you know, I was totally fearful of just trying new things because I was embarrassed of like failing at it. And uh, in hindsight, I wish I didn't. But now yeah. I just I'll say yes to everything. I don't care. You know, like, you know, it's, uh, you know, being a little bit humbled and, uh, you know, vulnerable. And it's just it's, it's okay to, to go through those failing moments. Yeah. And you were, I mean, you're very much in the public eye, like you're a professional athlete and then you're on TV and then people followed your journey since then. So it's not like you saying that means if you failed, no one would really know. So it's like you were out in the open. Not only that, I, 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 I made the choice, you know, getting back to the whole crisis service over self, but like I made the choice to take my battle public. In 2009, when I was first diagnosed, I worked with People Magazine to do one of the first ever like video blogs of my cancer. Yeah. For the, like it was the highs and lows 
of going through cancer. And I had the incredible support group, both family and then just random people on the interworld um, supporting me. And that was huge, but the cancer came back. Like I failed at it, you know, like I, everyone was rallying behind me. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to be a champion. And I did. Yeah. And then 20 months later, the cancer came back. And so that for me was deflating exponentially more difficult than the first time around. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had failed, you know, and that's, it's embarrassing. It's, uh, I had to come out and say, it didn't work. I failed at this. My, I couldn't do it. And then I had to go through it all again. So like that moment again is just a big moment in my life where, I know it's a little different because it's a little bit out of my control, but it, it wasn't, you know, it's just, uh, it doesn't mean it feels that way. Like it's going to feel what it's going to feel. Right. Like I built like I, 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 the media built me up to be this hero, you know, this, like right. this source of inspiration, which I didn't really ask for. Um, but obviously I put myself in that situation and, and, and enjoyed, you know, being, you know, the details of my life can help others out there. That's why I did this in the first place, you know, using my crisis to help others. That's why I did this. But then when you fail at it and they see that it didn't work. Yeah. That's uh, I didn't, I didn't factor that into my plan when I was, when I started, you know? Yeah. And the immediate thoughts got to be like, well, what about all those people who were taking inspiration from me that I've now like, shown it doesn't work yeah instead of where you you could ultimately get to is like i can show that you can keep fighting this and there's ups and downs and it's not a straight line or like you get to the finish and you're done that's not life you know when people are like i just have to get through this and then i'm good things don't work that way they don't yeah especially like what's going on in the world right now you know this is uh unprecedented times you know there's a lot of people that are going to be trying things and failing things, you know, on all aspects of every business and life and homeschooling and just how to deal with boredom and anxiety and uncertainty and just where you're going to get your food and everything, you know, like, uh, so I, I can understand, like, I feel a little bit prepared for this because after both my cancer treatments, I was in complete isolation for a hundred days. And then I lived a isolated lifestyles for about five years after my cancer. So like, I feel a bit okay. Like I've been through something like this before, yeah. but I can understand how this would be completely foreign to everyone else and just scary yeah. and uncertain. I was just saying to someone the other day that like, you know, for my family with my wife's health, it, it's kind of like for a little while, we haven't had to be the weird people. Like It's fine that like no one's, you know, no one's eating at restaurants and whatever. <laughs> like, you know, we would always, we'd go, but like she wouldn't eat or, you know, and it's always like, aren't you going to get something? It's like, we don't have to deal with any of that. Right. It's just, you know, somewhat normal. I mean, it's not, but. What is that? Uh, what, do you mind me asking what her? I'm totally open. Yeah, no, oh. she, uh, she has chronic Lyme disease. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a tough thing to treat and to get acknowledged and find help for. Um, and it's hard to manage. So, you know, there's lots of things we've changed in our lifestyle. And honestly, while some people are like, oh, I don't know how you live with all those restrictions. It's also like, well, live is the operative word. Mm. So that's a plus. Like we're definitely pro her being alive. And there's lots of good. Like we were saying last night, you're watching America's Got Talent. Yeah. And it was like a re, like a 15 year, a 15, 15 year look back. And Simon, who's now vegan, he was like puffy. And I don't know, I don't know if you'd call him chubby, but something, he was mm-hmm. reacting to something. He looks totally different. And we were remembering the same thing for me. Like I wouldn't, I weighed 45 pounds more when wow. she got sick than I do now. And neither of us oh thought I was God. like, I had been obese as a kid. Um, so neither of us really thought anything about it in 2011. Like I just looked American. Right. Like it looked like everybody. <laughs> right. But by comparison, like, I don't, I don't know what my health situation would be. I don't know. Mm. 45 pounds would be 145 today. You know, like wow. who knows? Um, yeah. So you can look at it all as bad and restrictive, or you can look at it as like, well, there's a lot of good that comes from it too. That's Strength, incredible, you know? Man. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah, I, I often say that there are only two things in life that we can be completely certain about. One, we're all going to have to die. And yep. two, we're all going to have to live until we die. So like, how do you want to live? How do you want to make your life happen, right? And so I feel like that's a really important thing to understand uh, when people get a little bit concerned about living a life they're proud of. Um, I, I often think about that. You know, I had to face, you know, 
a potential death sentence early on in life. And so, uh, you know, a little bit of perspective on all that. And I, I truly believe, yeah, like I now want to live every day. I don't want to miss any more days, you know, yeah. of my life because I missed enough already. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's important to, to make sure that we live the life we want to live. So Ethan, given some pretty huge things that you've done with those days that you get to live, um, what kinds of things are you doing going forward? Like you, you've started movements. You're, um, you're the good guy that people love rooting for, and we've gotten to do that all the three times now. That's fine. It works. Um, <laughs> but like, what, what is? Do you have a, a path that you're on right now? Like, is there a mission for you going forward? Well, on you know, yes, there is. You know, my main source of business has been you know traveling I, I leave my home to go yeah. give a speech or, or fundraise or host a soccer clinic or MC an event or you know just be, be part of things however that's been cut right to zero so for me it's been uh, a challenge in terms of um, you know just adapting and figuring out how I can work um, in this type of environment luckily um, I had the TV show and I created these t-shirts right here and called old school survivor which actually made five years ago when i hit the five-year mark as a cancer survivor and it just happened that there's this old school new school thing on this current season i'm like boom let's do this so i put those up online sold a bunch of those so that's been that's been really fun for me um the second part is just you know i'm trying to move everything online because unfortunately due to my past health challenges and the way my immune system works is like i can't leave the house or travel or see yeah. people until there's a vaccine or a cure. So yeah. I'm screwed. I'm here for another 12 months minimum. Yeah. So that's something that you need to accept. And I think um, a lot of people in the world right now are dealing with this anxiety and uncertainty of how long this pandemic is going to last. And they're kind of living in a little bit of a state of denial, mm-hmm. um, which is natural. It's like a natural yeah. way to feel. The one thing that I've learned from going through my stuff is acceptance is key to survival. Like once you accept what's going on, then you can move to the next phase, which is just mapping out how you want to live. You know, I didn't want to admit there's this cancer inside my body trying to kill me, but I had to in order to decide what I wanted to do to stay alive for the next 12 months of my life. So I encourage everyone to try to accept what's going on as, as hard as that is, because that's the only way you can you know, see the other side, you know, every challenge has got a beginning, middle and an end, you know, and this is not a sprint because if you sprint the first five miles of marathon, you can throw up all over yourself, right? This is a long challenge. And so in order to, to get through it, you kind of have to accept what's going on. And then. Yeah. You've, you get trained on the acceptance before everyone else in the world had to face it. But so, yeah, I mean, we can watch it going on. I mean, same thing for us is like, we're used to that. So we just keep going and, um, it's still scary. There's still lots of unknowns and all that, but, um, it's, it's a choice how much you dwell in that versus saying like, okay, well it is what it is. So what can I do with that? And and I think that's a key thing is like, what do you make of these times? Um, just talking to someone yesterday that was like, so, you know, I just kind of need to hunker down and wait it out. Like you, you know, you can, if you have that luxury, that's fine. But like, or you could see, well, what do I get to do? because of this. Yeah. And I, I, I talk to my wife about this a lot and there's this mad rush to like be productive, to learn a new skill, to, to, you know, get stuff up online and take a yeah. yoga class and which is great. And I encourage it all. However, like this, this, it's a, getting, figuring all that stuff out. That is like, that's a little bit of denial. You're like shifting things around, you're yeah. distracting yourself. And then, like I said, until you accept what's going on, that's one thing, but like all this, you know, this, this mad rush to be productive, I don't necessarily think is uh, the best strategy um, for everyone because I think you need to take care of yourself first yeah. and your immediate family. And then you can focus on doing all, all this other stuff and le- yeah. learning these new skills and everything. Um, so I think that's just kind of just something to, to note. Yeah. And everyone I know who has like this bucket list of all these amazing, like, three screenplays and two books and six languages and whatever it's like they generally aren't making any progress and then they're just wallowing and what a failure they are there's lots of something to to be said about like and that's where i was going i totally forgot my train of thought last time but it's okay to just 
survive something like you can just getting through this is okay so like yeah. you know you know i think that's important to note because yes it would be great if you could become an expert guitar player by the end of this thing but it's also okay just to like get through it and be sane like you got a wife you got kids there's school like there's so much going on it yeah. you know and you're you're seeing all these people like post this incredible food online and doing all this crazy stuff sourdough online. bread sourdough bread's hugely yeah. making a garden and which is great but i think it's this false sense of like that things are happening out there you see people out there without masks on going to parties and all this stuff like sometimes I have to remind myself that like, I'm not the only one being this concern. I'm not the only yeah. one going through this right now and making the choice to stay out of the way of everyone else. And, you know, people are quite upset with, with like their life being interrupted. Mm. I can't go to the beach this summer. My kids aren't at camp. Like, are they going to go back to school? All these what if scenarios are yeah. just driving people mad yeah. when I feel like, well, I can't leave the house. And like all you guys that are out there house, you're ruining it for me, right? So right. get your stuff in order and right. stay home. And I think we need to tap into the greater community of the world. Like the only way this thing is going to be better is if we tap into like the grand scheme of everything. Like your media community might be screwed for the next year, but right. like let's put that aside and think about the greater community of humankind here. Yeah. And the longer everyone's out doing this stuff, the longer it's going to be like this. It's a hundred percent back to the point you made before about like the research that focusing on helping others when you're in crisis yourself will help you. Yeah. But when we bring it back to the, the kind of selfish, like, Oh, I want this. I wish that um, not only are we, not actually making it any better for ourselves because we're just elongating that time where we can't have what we wish we had, yeah. but we're also impacting every, literally everybody else. Um, I mean, if I have to, I said to my family, if I have to sit out for a year, if I can't see you for a year in order to be able to see you for the rest of my life, right. Then I'll do it. Yeah. You, you have to, there's no other choice. You got to yeah. do that. Like I'm not going to risk going to see my mom who's 80 years old because yeah. then I won't be able to see her next year if she right. gets the virus. Right. And I don't yeah. see, under, I can't understand how some folks aren't seeing it that way. So that to me is what's unprecedented about this. Cause we've been through things like this as a human race before, like the Spanish flu in 1918. But what did people do generally? Like there was a national pride about doing the right thing. Like World War II, you know, you had to turn your lights off and you had to ration and people were working in ways that they didn't, you know, women going in the factories and men going off to die. Like you did what you had to do because we had to come together and it doesn't mean everyone was happy about it. So that to me is what's unprecedented is this like the, the selfishness or the self interest response that is making the whole thing worse. Yeah. I mean, imagine like, you know, we, we both, you and I, we probably like to see the positive sides of things. Yeah. And like I think of myself, like how lucky are we to be pandemicking in this type of situation? Like imagine in 1918, they had to write letters to each other. Yeah. Like there's no Netflix, there's no Uber Eats. Right, there's like, no delivery. It was horrible. Yeah. Like we are incredibly lucky to be able to quarantine and pandemic in this situation. And you yeah. guys can't stay home for six months to make it right. better. Like you have everything you could possibly need right here, right now. You can communicate with friends, you can watch TV, you can listen to music, you get food delivered, you got Amazon delivered. Refrigeration for your food, like. <laughs> refrigeration, right? Like <laughs> my grandparents like, had an ice box and the ice would melt. Like, yeah. So like, I think of like, okay, so let's look at this. Well, yeah, you're stuck in your house, but you're incredibly lucky to be stuck in your right. house in this right. time and age with Wi-Fi. Right. So, they're yeah. sick of having to ride their pelotons. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm sure those classes get get old. Um, We're probably gonna get a lot of hate for this, but still, yeah, yeah. I, just, I just can't understand some people. The reality is, I'm just too cheap to spend 39 bucks a month <laughs> on uh, someone yelling at me to go faster. Right. Um, even you're you're awesome. Where can people follow you and pick up your old school shirts if you have any of them left? And uh, <laughs> well, we just came out with new colors. We got green. We got uh, clay. We got hoodies. We got white. We got grassroots soccer gear. Whatever you want, go to ethanzon.com, and the purchase of every single item in my shop benefits charity. So this whole thing for me is about uh, giving back to 
the world that we got cancer research, we got adolescent health, we got autism, we got any type of a uh, bunch of different charities affiliated with uh, different shirts and products within the, the shop on ethanson.com. That's awesome. So people can pick a cause they care about and support that cause with their purchase. Correct. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I will link to that and all of your social media in the yeah. show notes. Um, you're amazing. I love that you've responded when I reached out as my wife was like, he's not going to write back. He's probably got a million people. It's like, well, let's see. Um, you're incredible. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. This is really fun. And uh, it all started with a little cameo video. So that's right. Yeah. That's true. People can, can find you there too. Um, for those who don't know what cameo is, it's a great way to have people that you respect and admire and maybe fan out a little bit on, um, send your personal message or connect with them. I think Boston Rob, there's like a you can play some kind of game, like yeah, chess VIP or game nights. I, I've done yeah, some yeah. of those too. Those are really yeah. fun too. So like basically, and now his cameo is doing these like uh, you can talk to someone for like ten minutes. So like yeah. you can hire me for 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever. But yeah, these VIP game nights are fun, man. I, well, I think they're fun because you play like these. It's a, a group of Jackbox games, and it's like Pictionary. Okay. It's like uh, Cards Against Humanity trivia. Uh, boulder dash you know these types of games and you you can buy a seat at the table yeah um everyone has their own price and just hang out for an hour and a half and See, there was none of that in 1918 right right none of that yeah none of that they had uh yeah i don't know even what they had well you there. you brought you were amazing in it like such a personalized message and obviously like you knew the town um yeah right but like you started going into things and we're looking at each i looked at my wife and I'm like, did you tell him that like in the in the outreach you're awesome and you, i shared the response the reaction video of my son he was like utterly blown away yeah, that was um, so that was awesome my crowning moment living in lexington when i won survivor in 2001 was they put my name on lexington cinemas that said congratulations wow. ethan and right down on mass ave that was like the highlight of my my life in, in lexington I was just about to say the cinema's still there. Yeah. For now, I hope it's still. I mean, that's like an institution. Yeah, it is. Um, a lot of main streets will be changing, which is really sad to see. Yeah. How the Lexington's all just banks now. Everything has become a bank. <laughs> and haircut banks and haircutting places. I feel not like so many place. anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty much all banks. Wow. Yeah, okay. one by that's one. Weird. Um, you have to come back and deposit some money sometime. Oh, I got to win yeah, Survivor again, though. <laughs> um, Ethan, you're incredible. Thank you for doing this. It's, Thanks, uh, it's been a lot. Appreciate it. Are you ready to help me close the show out? Yeah, sure, sure. All right. Today's a new day. Yeah, let's everyone go out there and just crush it. Awesome. Thanks, Ethan. Take care. What an awesome guy. What an incredible story. And the way that his attitude, his perspective, his approach to all of it. Uh, there are things that Ethan's faced that you know, a lot of us would just shut down from. And I don't think anyone would blame us for it in the way that he leans into it and grows from it. And not just his own experience, but then stands by others in that process, despite everything he's going through. It's pretty amazing. And you can hear where the mindset really is behind all of it. So super, super thankful for the time that Ethan made for me. Um, but so much more than the time is what he packed into that time and you know just getting to connect with him getting to hear from him grow from him like i've actually listened to this episode probably six or seven times already as i record this outro just because of everything that i take from it and i will say like going back and listening again you pick up something else he's just super real really valuable insights because god like talk about being tested multiple times in lots of different ways personally and with those around you like committing to trying to lessen that burden that suffering for yourself for others it's really beautiful so i hope this resonated with you ethan's an awesome guy great message do check out his stuff pick up an old school survivor t-shirt if that's your jam but there's lots of other ways to support the various charity activities that ethan supports and this is you know I have a lot of people on who are public speakers and motivational speakers, and they're awesome, no doubt. Ethan is incredible. His message, like I've gotten to see some of his talks, they're amazing. And so you should definitely go to ethanzon.com if you ever have a need for a public speaker. And if you just want to connect with him and have that kind of inspirational conversation, or you want to play games with him, you can go to his Cameo page. All that is linked up in the show notes. 
Um, but it's cameo.com slash Ethan Zahn, or you can go to ethanzahn.com and find all of his stuff too. Awesome guy. So thankful for the time that Ethan gave and for the message that came out of it. All right. I am going to persevere. Think about that kindness and compassion point. And, you know, there's definitely times where maybe I feel too busy, too overloaded, too overwhelmed for the kindness and compassion to come out. And then there's times where I make sure it comes out and no doubt I feel better. I feel less overwhelmed. I feel less busy and like there's too much, too much to handle, too much to deal with. That that being there for people through crisis, whether your own or someone else's, has incredible value for all of us. So that's the message I'm taking. I'm going to remind myself of it because it's something we can all use a lot right now. What will you take yourself from this interview? All right, if this resonated, check out ethanzon.com and be sure you are subscribed to this podcast. You can also grab my books, my message, all that stuff at brianfalchuk.com. Super easy to get to. It's right there at the bottom of the show notes in every episode. And of course, you can find me on social media. You got to follow at Ethan Zahn, follow at Brian Falchuk at the same time. All right, everyone, we'll see you next time for another great episode of Do A Day. Let's all make a conscious choice to go out and do it. Thanks, everyone.